You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Well, hello, everyone. It's lovely to be with you again today. It's Michelle Redfern here. And for those of you joining us live, a big hi on screen. And for those of you who are listening in later on on our podcast, on the Lead to Soar podcast, hello to you. I'm thrilled a bit today to be with one of the members of Lead to Soar, Karen Percy. And some of you, particularly those of you in Australia, may know Karen because she's a really experienced journalist and has been... Well, I hate saying been around for a few decades because, you know, we don't want to date ourselves, do we, Karen? But she has been around for a few decades and I'll let her tell her story in a moment. But Karen and I are going to have a conversation today really based in the power of language, the language of power and executive presence, which for regular Lead to Soar members and listeners, you'll know that we talk about the language of power a lot. And I want to, in our conversation today with Karen, highlight a few things. Number one, why it's essential for women to put their hands up for media and communications training. Many of our members will know that I spruik this all the time because I was fortunate enough in my corporate career to be given the opportunity to undergo media training and communications training. And I thought I was pretty good (laughs) until I did it. Well, I I was pretty good, but there are techniques that, that are really essential to learn. Then the two things that we really want women to look at how to build and demonstrate your executive presence. And executive presence is the ability to credibly draw the attention and hold the attention of others whilst delivering a business savvy message. The power of language means commanding attention and respect when you speak. Now, this is particularly important for leaders who regularly have critical messages to convey to team members and other stakeholders, especially shareholders, external folks like regulators, the press, so on and so forth. So this is what I want to ground our conversation in today. And Karen is the expert who's going to help us understand, well, what is media training and how do we go about tapping into that? So that's what we're going to cover today. Karen, welcome to the pod. And how about we kick off with, well, what's your story? Over to you. My story is that I've been, all my life, people have told me stuff. And the beautiful thing about that is that, you know, it, it leads to a journalism career, but you've got to know what to tell and what to pass on and what not to pass on. So people have trusted me with their stories and I really found that to be what grounds me as a journalist and what has motivated me is being giving voice to people, but also witnessing history. I watched behind the news when I was a young kid and saw the transition of power in what was then Rhodesia from Ian Smith, a white, white man, to Robert Mugabe. Now, Robert Mugabe went on to have his own particular issues in what became Zimbabwe, but understanding as a young person that you could witness history and and journalists were there. So I've been excited and had a great career and still having a great career, but I'm not doing the day-to-day anymore. I'm kind of doing a lot of different things that are, are still in the media space, but I've been in the same room as Vladimir Putin. I have interviewed Imelda Marcos. I have interviewed Anwar Ibrahim and Imran Khan. I've done some great stuff overseas. Prime ministers covered some notorious crimes and court cases here in Australia. But now I also wear another cap as the media president of the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance. It's a voluntary position, an elected position where I 
represent 5,000 journalists and we've got crucial press freedom issues in this country at the moment. So, And the trauma-informed stuff has come about from all that experience of the story. So I'm really passionate about ensuring that people understand the impact of trauma on those around them and vicarious trauma on themselves. And I want women to be everything they can be. Fantastic today. We're on King's birthday holiday. I'm not much of a monarchist, but so excited to see a 50-50. I'm not on it this year. There's 50-50 in most categories this year, 50% men, 50% women. That's for the honours, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely, for the honours. So I'm excited to be able to pass on my skills and my experience and tips and tricks to the great women in the leaders or our community. Thanks, Karen. And you do um, so often. And I think, uh, interestingly, as we take our first little rabbit hole away from our core topic, but both you and I are ambassadors for Honour a Woman uh, in Australia and such an important movement that, you know, really was started by women and largely spruiked and advocated for by women to create gender equality in the honours and awards system in Australia because it was woefully, woefully imbalanced. And in just a few short years, it just goes to show what activism and advocacy can do for women's rights. This round of awards in Australia achieved gender equality, as you said. So I feel very proud, as you must do, Karen, to have been a part of that and been very openly activating and, and advocating for that. And I think coming back to our topic, though, it raises an interesting segue because I think when one is accepting an award of any type, you want to be savvy in your communications. And some of us will have sat through excruciating awards processes <laughs> and heard excruciating acceptance speeches and then in the opposite way heard amazing acceptance speeches and I always say preparation prevents piss poor performance so I think that this is a part of it so I would imagine that people who are in the system of or at a level where they think okay I'm going to be expected to be accepting an award whether it's on behalf of myself or others I'm going to have to stand up on a stage and speak I'm going to have a microphone thrust into my face to be asked for comment I'm going on a radio interview or I might simply be asked to talk to a group of stakeholders about how my company's positioning itself in, insert whatever current, you know, current affairs matters there. So those people, I would imagine, would go, okay, I need to undergo some media training. So tell us, Karen, what is media training? Well, it's understanding what the media does why the media exists and your potential role in it. What's really important for ambitious women, and this is the title of this show, is, mm. uh, you know, how do ambitious women, you know, um, succeed? And, and media is a really important part of that because visibility is absolutely crucial to success. Oh, boom, boom. Knowledge bomb number one. Sorry to interrupt. Visibility is essential. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So not just yep. internally, but externally too. And whether your KPIs depend on it, and so often these days executives, their KPIs do, you know. We have an idea in our head that media training is just crisis management. It's being chased down the street by, you know, notorious television programs because something dodgy has happened in your organisation. Or the set piece press conference where you've got your lovely banner and you've got the, the ribbon cutting ceremony and you've got all the, the distinguished guests and nobody turns up. But it's so much more than that. It can be your shareholders at your AGM or 
stakeholders, but it might also be writing an opinion piece, an op-ed for one of the newspapers, and they're still doing such things, or it might be just wanting to get more involved in, for example, calling into a radio station that might be talking about an issue that's relevant to your business. So it's actually having uh, understanding that there are lots of different layers and ways that you can be part of the media, getting to know your local paper. So part of it is media literacy, is actually understanding who's who in the zoo, what are the news organisations that might align with your values that you'd be able to use, who are most likely to come to you, but also understanding and for example, there is actually no inherent freedom of speech in Australia. I know that might sound weird to the international audience, but there isn't. It's not in our constitution. Anything that we assume about freedom of speech is actually via legal precedent and just established practice. So the only protected communication is by politicians. Surprise, surprise. In Parliament and also their communications as well. We also have this assumption about the freedom of the press. We have assumptions about privacy. We have a whole lot of assumptions. Let me tell you about privacy. Almost no privacy provisions protect somebody in a public space. A news organisation can take your photograph, can film you in a public space. They can't come onto your property. They can't come into your business. So there's understanding what it actually means. There's a lot of mis understanding misconceptions about what the media is and what your rights are as a, a person. So firstly, it's important to understand the landscape and the ecosphere. It's also, you know, your rights and responsibilities and roles in it. If you're approached by a journalist, the first thing you should be looking at is what is the news organisation. If you've never heard about it, try and find out more about it because there's, you know, increasingly small propagandist machines that are pretending that they're news organisations. So trying to understand who's calling you and what they want. So that's an important part of it as well as doing a little bit of homework, a little bit of research on the news organisations if anybody is contacting you, for example. Um, you know, do they abide by a code of ethics? What's their code of conduct? What's their complaint system? So part of being somebody who's in the media is understanding yourself as a media consumer, as somebody affected by it as well. So understanding the regulatory framework, I think, is really important as well for people. So it's not just about how you answer a question and preparing for that difficult interview and scenario building and, and having two ways about asking this question and skewering you and trying to put you in a corner. It's actually so much more than that. That's the crisis management side of it. But there's so much more that people should know about our media and social media, of course, is so different as well as so many people are doing their own, is doing their own videos and putting their own statements out there. So it's a very different, you mentioned LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a really important platform for so many of us now. It's a public platform. We're writing content. There's blogs. There's all manner of things. So, And then, of course, internal communications for organisations is so important as well. So understanding the landscape and understanding what the aims are is really important. And the other thing I'd add into that, and, and it probably goes without saying for, I suppose, senior leaders in, in many of the corporations around the world that will be listening to this, that, that we will know our own organisation's policy about speaking to the media or on any platforms. But I think one of the other parts that I became aware of when I did my media training was just how important it is to know your corporate policy. It doesn't matter what level you are in the organisation, it's, it's good to know that because... You 
you can be seen as a representative of your organisation and, you know, even enlisted organisations, it's important not to, to post on social media in block out periods when there's a sale going on or when the AGM's coming up. You know, there are obviously block out periods for selling, but there's also this sensitive time. So I think media training's essential to understand that whole landscape of the media. And I agree, including social media, because in the old days, you'd have someone on a soapbox on the corner shaking their fist at the sky. Well, you've now got Twitter for that. So, um, or, or LinkedIn or whatever it may be. And news organisations use Twitter. If you're, if you're a consumer of news, you see how much they embed tweets or Instagram posts or whatever. So it's part and parcel of media. Absolutely. And I've certainly had media approach me based on tweets that I've made and, and ask for comment and things like that. So really important that we understand that whole landscape as well as your organisation's policy around speaking to the media. And often you'll have to go to your corporate affairs area or whatever to, to get permission to whether it's speak on a panel or make a comment or whatever it may be. So I think this is all part of it. And I think I'm leading the witness a bit here, Karen, but you know, I don't want people to wait until they're in senior executive and C-suite roles to get this media training. I think it's important for women to understand this as early as possible in their career. What do you say to that? I think it's really, really important. And I would actually say, even though, yes, most corporations have policies, it's usually the CEO or it's the chair who is speaking or you know, directors of particular departments. What I would say is that the media very often doesn't want to hear from the CEO mm. who they know has just been fed a whole lot of lines. They want the expert. And I do think corporations really need to think long and hard about supplying those experts is actually the person who's written that report or done the research, mm. who's actually got the legitimate understanding of it, who can answer all of those kind of persnickety questions. So I do think sometimes corporations get a little head up about who can speak and are a bit too strict about that. And it is important to have a variety of voices. And of course, we also know that case studies ever important. When you are looking at some deep policy stories, it's so often important to have that personal touch. So it's a case study and it's somebody who's going through that particular circumstance. So I think while it's good to have policies, it's also um, every rule book should be thrown out every now and again, but, but corporations, NGOs, all manner of organisations really do need to think that having a variety of, of speakers is really, really important, particularly when they've got the expertise. Yeah, so I think there's two call-outs there for me. One is for the leaders listening, uh, particularly those who are very senior and have got influence over those kind of policy decisions. Start looking to you know, who might be the women uh, in your organisation. Clearly, we're, we're taking a, a gender focus here. Um, who are the people that wouldn't ordinarily be represented when your organisation is in the media and how might that position your brand and I guess the strategic goals of the brand more positively with your stakeholders. So that's number one and number two, but please don't throw her to the wolves. Please give her the opportunity to learn how to construct messages, answer on the fly, all of those things. And look, some of that can be giving women the opportunity to speak on panels as those experts. And there are so many industry panels that I've got to say, I was very fortunate enough to be invited to, to speak on as an expert. Lucky I can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles and I'm pretty confident, but hindsight is a great thing. I would have really benefited from some media training before I had, I was doing some of those because I probably was straying from the 
I don't know, the corporate playbook a couple of times. I mean, I am pretty forthright, but, you know, but also the techniques and the style and and the ability to really add value both for your organisation and the audience. So that's just one example. And moderating panels, being on panels, yeah, they're a brilliant way to do things because you've got the, the comfort of others around you too who you can listen and learn from and then kind of pick up on. So I do, I agree, that's a brilliant starting point for women is actually to to get them onto those kind of panels or go to conferences and do keynote speeches is to and then provide the support as well. Do you have all the information that you need? Do you have the confidence that you feel that you need? And then bolstering her after the fact is is retweeting and, you know, our, our, our director of such and such did this, our lead researcher on that did that, is actually utilising what comes from that great panel that they've been on, that great keynote speech that they've been on, or the first press conference that they did. Turn that around and turn it into content to actually start to uplift those women and show that they're capable and fabulous. So that's a really important part of it as well, is actually that follow-up and making sure that you're providing the support and that fantastic elevation that colleagues can be so good at doing is my look at my fantastic colleague and what she did at this particular conference so that's also important I think as well yeah and I see in my own ecosystem I see that done well and I see it not done at all in some cases so that's a really good call out again so if you do have women in your organization who are attending conferences and speaking on your behalf ask them for a bit of a report when they come back because again that's going to help her build her communication skills so what were the outcomes you know what were her key insights from speaking at this particular conference or wherever it may be but also amplify her messages it's another way of really visibly role modeling gender equality too because we know that men's voices and opinions still dominate the media and where we can in organizations say hey we've had Karen or Michelle or Rhonda or Susan or Mel speaking on our behalf take that and use it as an opportunity a genuine and really authentic opportunity to position your business's brand as hey this is the way we support women so there's another call out yeah, let me pick up on two on, you know, the, the lack of voices, women's voices. So Women in Media Australia did some fantastic research earlier this year, discovering that 70% of headlines were dominated by men and male talent. 57% of bylines were dominated. Goodness. So that's, you know, by yeah. reporter's name here or reporting. You know, we have a almost a female dominant industry and yet women are still clawing for space. 66% of experts quoted. If there were the movies, it wouldn't pass the Bechdel test, would it? No, no, but yeah. I still see a lot of movies with that. So the Women in Media's gender scorecard showed that still, I've been a journalist for 36 years. It just mm. breaks my heart. This is still the case. I've been around <laughs> a bloody long time, folks, and still we're having to fight for space, for airtime, for column inches. It's just maddening. <laughs> Let's look at the push-pull there, though. Listeners, what I want you to do is put your hand up. When you're asked to be an expert or provide expert opinion on something, please put your hand up. There will be people to guide you if you're not confident about your messaging. And particularly and certainly... In my experience, I have very few live on-air interviews. It's more, Michelle, can you provide a written response to this particular stuff? So I'll, you know, can you write me 500 words on X, Y, Z? Or would you answer these questions? And it's in writing. So you do have time. So please say yes, women. Please, please, please say. If someone asks, say yes. And then on the flip side... 
for the men listening and for the leaders listening, if someone asks you and you've already taken up your fair share, find another woman, put her forward to offer her opinion and her expertise. So this is the way of helping fix that disparity in the voices that we're hearing. We can all do something about that. And for so long, women's voices were written out of history. Our roles were deliberately written out of history. We know there have been fantastic women from the beginning of time doing amazing things, and they don't appear in our stories in our history uh, until relatively recently. So this is a one way of ensuring that the people hundreds of years down the track know we were here and doing really amazing things. One thing that does um, put women off, and I know this from myself and my colleagues and others, is you know it can be very hard to be out there. Uh, the kind of backlash that happens to women, the social media pylons, which is all the more reason that it's important that there are support mechanisms in place. You know what you're in for. You know, you close your direct messages on those days if it's going to be a confronting or a a sensitive kind of topic and we know that women's credentials are downplayed or, or questioned oh everything <laughs> everything is just questioned that you're not you know so understanding that and coming up with ways to deal with that ahead of time it's just like well actually this woman's written four books and you know been cited by all you know all of these papers peer-reviewed all that kind of stuff so forearmed is forewarned or I always get it the wrong way around I always get the cliche the wrong way around but just yeah forewarned <laughs> yeah yeah but be prepared I was a scout very briefly when I was a child be prepared and when you're prepared and you know what's coming for you potentially you can accommodate it you can re respond to it but organizations do have an obligation to ensure they're providing safety security and the kind of support that women are going to need in that role because they get far more online hate and all that kind of stuff than their male counterparts do. And we need our male counterparts to step in and say, this is not cool when they see it themselves. Hey, Karen, so just let's come back to the what of media training. So if I was someone who didn't know what media training was, so we've got a bit of a, I think we've got a very good sense now of why it's so important and the opportunities that it will provide. What would a typical media training program entail? And particularly if I'm a woman who's saying, well, okay, I'm early to mid-career and I'm going to take the advice of Karen and Michelle, I'm going to put myself out there and ask for some media training. What should she be looking for? Well, there's a couple of different strands. There's obviously the presentation side of things. That's the really obvious stuff. And that can be, hmm. it's about how you look, it's how you sound, it's how you prepare. And it's, you know, it can be mock interviews, it can be voice training, it can be being on camera, a whole lot of those kinds of things. So that's the obvious stuff. But then there's the also preparing for it is understanding what your audience is. That's one of the, the key, the most important things when it comes to wanting to be in the media. Who's your audience? And it may not be the audience you're necessarily choosing, but knowing who you're speaking to. One of the other things too is that is it a quick quote for the newspaper or is that that 500 words that you've been asked for? Is it just the website? Is it a quick grab or as we call in the beers or a bite, a small snippet of audio or television? Is it something you can do quickly on Zoom? Or is it something that you're going into a studio for or a camera crew is coming to you? So understanding that there, there's not one size fits all on how the media is going to use you as such or utilise your comments. So understanding that there are different ways to do it. So is it live? Is it pre-taped? If you're doing short snippets, how long is it? Do you want eight seconds? Do you want 12 seconds? Or if it's a longer nice piece that is going to be in a feature where you can be a bit more considered and you can be you know a little bit more yourself or use language that is a bit more you 
There's a lot of moving parts, if you like. Now, one thing, a media organisation will almost never give you veto over, you know, they're not going to show you the story in the main. They're not going to give you veto. But if suddenly something changes, you can pick up the phone to sort of say, look, I shouldn't have said that. Please, can you not use that? So, you know, you can try your best. This is all the stuff that you'll learn through media training. And what I've learned over the years is that it's often modular. So you'll do sort of the basics and then a bit more and then a bit more. And I think making sure that it's appropriate for career stage. So I I certainly know that the first one that I did was really useful because it was around presenting to boards. And at the time I was having to present to, well, investment committees and pretty senior people trying to get money out of them basically. So, and part of it was being filmed and yes, the voice, the way you're positioning. And and I learned a whole bunch of stuff about myself, which was, you know, that I hop around from leg to leg and I sort of fiddle with my glasses. And, and what I want to reiterate here, listeners, is this is not about fixing you because we're not about fixing women at Lead to Soar. This is about you being the best version of yourself for the audience. And I love what you've said, Karen, there is really understanding your audience. Who's going to be the recipient of your message? Because clearly there are messages that we're going to give to our internal organisations and there are messages for external etc etc and you know beauty's in the eye of the beholder as they say so really being able to understand your audience and craft your message accordingly in fact just this week we've had one of our other lovely members who's put a courageous ask into our network saying hey I've been selected to speak at two pretty big forums Uh, she's an academic and what should I think about it? And I think both you and Susan both said, think about your audience, how to engage them, what do they want? And be in service of the audience is, is such good advice. So listeners, this is all what media training will give you. And, you know, you don't have to consume it all in one big bite. You can do it over time and keep your skills going. And it should be evolving. It should be evolving depending on where you are in your organisation, where you are in your career, where you are in that public sphere. And I guess I would also, one of the most important things about any kind of presentation, whether it's internal, external, is to be comfortable. So that's comfortable with the words. If somebody's handed you a speech that is not in the language you would use or you don't understand it, you can't deliver it with any authenticity. So it's important that you be yourself. Similarly, if you've been asked to go into a television studio and they're going to gussy you up so that your mum and your partner don't recognise you with makeup or hair, you know, and you're not comfortable with that. So it's really about putting your best foot forward with the tips and tricks of the trade that we can give you and make you be a better performer more generally because everybody's got it in them. The other thing I would say is is warmth and smiles. You can hear a smile over the radio. You can absolutely hear somebody's warmth over the radio or audio, you know, as we're now calling it. So being yourself, one thing you do probably need to, particularly in broadcast, is energy is really important. People can also feel and hear energy. If you are enthusiastic and keen about what you're talking about, you draw an audience in. That's not to be fake or anything like that. It's it's just energy really helps to energize others. So, and you do need to kind of talk that a little every now and again. You probably not, if you're a kind of a calmer person, you might need to rev yourself up a little bit. Uh, you and I don't have any of those problems, Michelle. No, we don't. But you do want we to don't. Be we don't. And that's in the environment that you're in. You know, harsh lights can be really difficult. So it's just about being 
comfortable and confident because every woman has it in them to do meaningful presentations and meaningful public um, appearances. There's three points I want to pull out of there, which is number one, if you've got someone else writing a speech or a presentation for you, from my own experience, and I have talked about it before, I, I did it once, I presented someone else's words, it was awful, and I vowed and declared in that moment that I would never ever do that again quite some time ago and I have not the second part is I always do my own hair and makeup unless I can not possibly avoid it because again I do my own hair and my own makeup in a way sorry for those who are seeing you on screen today I've got nothing on today but you always look fab Michelle you (laughs) you are distinctive you are you love you (laughs) (laughs) well and that is the thing and I do want to look like me so I do always do my own hair and my own makeup because yeah I do want to look like and feel like me and the third thing is you know really being comfortable for, for me sometimes, and this is really understanding what it takes for you to be comfortable listeners. So for me, I get extraordinarily anxious if I'm running late, which means my head's not going to be in the right space. So if I'm doing a keynote, a panel, you know, whatever it may be, I give myself so much time. I'm always the first one there. Yes, I'm that dag knocking on the door. Please let me in because I need to sit there. I need to feel the whether it's an auditorium, whether it's a radio studio, whatever it may be, I want to feel and see. I don't like surprises and I know that I'm not at my best. So know who you are and what makes you feel comfortable and being at your best is a really big part of it. So folks, I think you know there's a whole lot more to media and communications training than you probably ever thought. And Karen, you've given us a good insight into that. Well, Karen Percy, we've had a very good conversation, you and I, and uh, covered a a lot of ground today. So my call outs to leaders, folks listening, and particularly the women listening to the pod today is that it is never too early to invest in yourself when it comes to media training, communication skills training, trauma-informed communications skills training. For the leaders on the call, it is essential for you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes. You must do that by skilling, providing the skills and the training to all of your leaders to help build the cultures that you want to build and understand that the people in your organisations, they need your leaders to have these skills, media skills, communication skills, trauma skills. And I guess the final thing is that for women which is so, so important, and I know we touched on it early in the call, is please put your hand up. Please put your hand up for the training, to speak on the panel, to write the op-ed, to be interviewed, whatever it may be, because we are here to help you do that. And in Lead to Soar, and Karen's a member of Lead to Soar, this is what we do. We help women gain the skills to build the competencies, which build the confidence to step forward and take up more space, whether it's in the media or in leadership or the world, all of the above. This is what we do. So Karen Percy, thank you so much for your contributions to our network um, and of course to this session. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. It's been fabulous. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.